If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. We would like to start out with a disclaimer, because last episode, we directed you towards the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and we just want to say we are not endorsing that show. We were There is a reference to the clip that we talked about, but go to NASA. Go to NASA. Much Don't better. Don't marvelous Mrs. Yeah, Maisel. Much better. Just much hang better. out with the Bible Book Club. Hang out yeah. with us here. Yeah. Don't go to hang out with marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> that said, last episode, we also talked mainly about how God created the world. And Susan, you pointed out something that I am frankly guilty of. I oftentimes read the Bible without the reverence that it deserves and the understanding that I'm just not going to be able to figure some of this stuff out. Those guys at NASA, they're engineers and they're really smart and analytical. And they and couldn't figure they it couldn't, out. We just, some and of this stuff we can't explain it. and we just have to trust that, but God. Mm-hmm. And so God has a plan and God has a pattern. And that's what you brought out. And I think that was really important last episode. So we're just going to dive into Genesis 2 and I'm going to start in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. All right. So before we go any further, because we've got a big story today, I want to focus on a keyword. And it's kind of cool sometimes to look at keywords in the Bible. And in this case, the keyword I'm referring to is blessed. So, so far, just in the first chapter of Genesis and this first two verses, we have heard that word three times already, but it's actually used over 900 times in the Bible. And that's how we know it warrants a little attention. The meaning of blessing in these first three for three verses is to confer prosperity or happiness upon. So it's a really kind of sweet thing. It's it's saying, you know, this is a happy occasion. So I, this this is something to look forward to. The three verses that we've read so far were one twenty two. The fish and birds were told to be fruitful and reproduce, and they were blessed for it. I'm not sure why animals were not included in that, but it just said fish and birds. Curious. <sighs> then in 28, 128, it said, you know, and man will be blessed and be fruitful and reproduce. And then right here, so those were living things, but right here, it's kind of curious. This is a day. He blessed this day and he set aside, um, it was set aside by God to be holy. So why bless a day? Well, I do think that God is an example for us to follow. Totally. And it even said that he was made, made man in his image. And so he's giving us the example of blessing. And then you see all throughout the Bible, all of the patriarchs are blessing their next in line and they're blessing their kids mm-hmm. and now blessing this day, which we observe on Sunday, right? And I am only a half Jewish girl, but I never went to Hebrew school. I don't know if this is, maybe I just know a lot of Jewish people. Their day of blessing is Saturday. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah it starts at sundown on Friday and goes till Saturday. Yeah. So to think about that so that we really understand why this was important for God to do and why, as you said, it's important for us to do. Um, I want to read from Barnes commentary. Um, shout out to Bible Hub. That's where I go for my commentaries because they're all right there and you can click from one to the other. But the rest here, he says, is God's rest. 
and it arises from the joy of achievement instead of the relief of fatigue. So sometimes we do think, oh, we're supposed to like, like rest, you know, and, and God is saying here, no rest in that. It's so awesome. And enjoy what you've made. Yes, I've, I've done that when I finished it. an art project or something before and been like, wow. Yeah. So we shouldn't see Sunday as a day where we just like, you know, just kind of sleep or need to catch up and rest. It's not that. It's more like, yes, this is a day. And here's what he says to go further. Is it like reflecting on your week? Yeah, so totally. Listen to this. He said, the work in which God was engaged was the creation of man and of the world to be his home. Man's rest, therefore, on this day is an act of communion with God in the satisfaction of resting after his work was done, like you just said, and at the same time, a thankful commemoration of that auspicious event in which God gave a noble origin and a happy existence to the human race. So from Barnes, we can say in short, why do we treat Sunday differently from any other day? One, to commune with God in contentment for work. And two, to commemorate to God thanks for this world. And I just want to stop for a second and make sure everybody knows that you just read from a commentary. Correct. And one thing that I've learned from you, Susan, is that these commentaries exist. They're out there. You can Google them, right? Mm -hmm. You do that often. You do have to be careful that sometimes you end up on one that's not necessarily a Christian one. It could be a different... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit careful of that. But this is where we invite you into the Bible book club, right? You might feel like, I can't read the Bible. I don't understand what it means. Mm -hmm. This is where we look to all of these commentaries to help us understand what it means. And I just wanted people to know that that's why you read from that commentary. And that's why I would go to Bible Hub because Bible Hub is going to give you the commentaries that have been around for the ages and will are vetted and kind of work through. Yeah, if you just Google commentary of a certain section, you may not know who's giving you that commentary. And there is a lot of like stuff out there. All right, let's set the scene here. Okay, the scene that we're about to read is when God created man and woman. And I kind of want to, it's going to seem a little redundant, but God has a plan in it. So last episode, we talked about how the brilliant astronauts from the NASA Apollo 8 mission had a reverence for what God had created. And Susan shared this quote. God has given mankind a stage upon which to perform. How the play turns out is up to us. And it's up to you. And so we present to you this episode, a play. I want you to think of it this way. Transport yourself, everyone. Okay, I'm closing my eyes. Don't do this if you're driving. And picture yourself in an auditorium filled with people. The orchestra is warming up with all those kind of random notes they do, you know. The dark red velvet curtain is shut before you, but for whatever reason, you can see through it. And as you watch, this blank stage is being set. And all of a sudden, the sky separates from the water, land appears, trees sprout, animals drop in, fish jump, birds swoop in. The stage is coming alive. And all of a sudden, the orchestra chaos becomes melodic as as the curtain rises. And now you can see a lot clearer what actually happened in Genesis 1. It's like God wants us in Genesis 2 to zoom in and cover creation from a slightly different angle. Why? Well, there's always a reason. So pay attention. Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. 
for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So a lot more detail about the man. You see him breathing into the man for life. God created man. We knew that in the last chapter. But man is different. He was formed differently than the birds, than the animals, than the fish. He was formed and then life was breathed into him, the very breath of God. It just was a lot more personal. Verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So again, he carefully puts the man in the garden. The man just didn't happen in the garden. And two trees. Two trees. This was a trivia question that Susan did in the first group that we had, and I totally didn't get that one. I didn't realize there were two trees. So in the middle special two trees, one of life. Again, this word. So back to back, you have him saying he the breath of life from God filled his lungs. And then we have the tree of life. I feel like this word has a definition, a a, a multi-dimensional definition that we will never be able to grasp. What was this breath of life? And why was there tree, this tree of life? Well, we're going to find out what happens in the next chapter with this tree, but it's important to key in on these words. And again, this other tree of knowledge, there's two choices here. Verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah and there was gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin, the onyx, are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So now in our scene, we have man filled with this breath from God. We have these trees. We have rivers flowing. And they just sound beautiful. Everything is perfect. There is are no clouds, there's no rain, there's just rivers and paradise and fruit and trees, nothing out of place. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Second time he says this, he put the man there. He took the man from where I don't know and put him in there. What's the point of of this? That There's no other way in, it sounds like, but if God puts you there, could that be a future implication? for us. There's no other way in, but if God puts you there, and we're going to find out, God takes him out of there too. And there's no way back to that paradise except through Christ. And again, we're already, the stage is being set to look forward to what what they had, what they lost, and what we can have in eternity. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
The world is so simple that this is the first and only command in their whole world. Eat all you want from any tree but one. Two special trees in the middle. You can eat from the tree of life and all the others, but not the knowledge of good and evil. Very straightforward. One command at this point in the world. Don't eat from that one tree. I feel like it's, have you ever seen those videos where they put the little kid in the middle of the room and they have a video and they go, okay, I'm going to put this candy right here in the or middle of this table. It's the marshmallow and, test. And then I'm walk out. And if you don't eat it, you can I'm going to give you a whole bunch more when I come back in. And then you get to watch what the kids do. It's like all they want to do is eat that candy. Totally. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. That's totally. how I feel like God's like, here's the marshmallow. That that test is actually done by the University of Stanford. And it was back in the, I think the 60s. And it's called the marshmallow test. You guys can Google it. It's great what these different kids do. But they tracked those kids into their 40s and 50s. And it showed that ability to have self-control actually leads to greater success in the future, which is exactly what we're going to study in the next chapter. Well, I didn't know about all that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Can't you just see this on the stage? All of a sudden the man is alone and he's like, what am I doing here? I'm alone. I don't know how this will play out. Our first hint from God uh, that he designed us for relationships is right here in the, we're in the second chapter in Genesis. And already we, we read, it's not good for man to be alone. We were made for relationships. And so all of you, you know, who bought dogs during COVID, that's great. I'm down with it. I have dogs, but uh, God says you can take care of the animals and the pups, but you still need people. Yeah. And in this one, he's, we're about to read the relationship between a man and woman, but you just really need all relationships. I'm meaning all relationships because certainly some people are called to be single and, and that's, that's a truth too. But you're still made to have Have relationships relationships with other people. You can't just live with all dogs. Verse 19. Now the Lord God, you can't live with all dogs. (laughs) You can't. Zoom with people, live with dogs. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. All right. This is the first time we reread the the word Adam. The man has a name. Um, It's his first mention. And, you know, the meaning of Adam is mankind, humanity. It comes from the Hebrew word for earth, which is Adama. And God formed man from the dust of the earth. So that fits, you know, he's named for the earth. The interesting thing is once Adam sins and eats the forbidden fruit, he introduces death to the world and he's sentenced to once again return to the earth from which God created him. Oh, so Hence the God saying, intended for him not to die originally. Oh, no, well, of course not. Hence the saying from dust to dust often said at funerals because it is from dust that man was formed and it is to dust that man returns. The other thing we see here is that the man has a job. He is, is naming the animals and there's three reasons for God bringing the animals to Adam that are an example to us. It was educational. Adam needed to know the differences and the purposes for each. You can't lead something if you don't know them. Exactly. Positional. It was positional. Adam had dominion over them and therefore was to care for them. So he 
he names them. It was relational. Adam discovered that he needed a companionship that the animals could not provide. The word but in verse 20 implies a shortfall of something. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And it's almost like God is tenderly awakening him in him this realization that, man, everybody's got a partner but me, you know, as, as two by two, and he names them. There was not found a help meet, and that's the word that's used instead of helper in other translations for the man. And that means help meet means an equal, a companion, a share of his thoughts, his observations, his joys, his purposes. It does not mean that when he gets a helper, she's literally just supposed to follow him around and do what he says. So just to clarify that. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the piece with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So in our zoom in in this scene of of learning a lot more detail of this, we learn that God created woman from Adam. Eve's creation was not just for procreation, but for companionship. Nowhere in it has he said, I mean, in, in... In chapter one, he said to man, be fruitful, multiply. But when he creates Eve, it's literally because he's alone. And that word help me is literally counterpart responding to him. Eve also was taken from Adam's breast or side. It translates as rib from Hebrew, but they really say it's really more like side. She was not taken from his head to be above him, nor his feet to be beneath him, but near to his heart and to stand at his side. And I love what one of the commentaries said about this. This one is the Cambridge commentary. And they said, God created woman from the side of man, symbolizing the closeness and intimacy of the relationship. She is one side of him and his own flesh. And as his own flesh, he is to watch over her and protect the woman. This story is a parable interpreting the instinct of love. I think it's really important that you bring this up, Susan, because sometimes this relationship between man and woman can get confused Mm -hmm. when you read about exactly what you just said, that one might be above, one might be below. No. I read a book called Love and Respect in Marriage by Emerson Mm -hmm. Egret. I love that book. It's a great book. And he talks about this idea that Paul, when Paul wrote his letters, he wrote, husbands, love your wives, Mm -hmm. wives, respect Respect your your husbands. It doesn't mean that we both don't have to love and respect each other. He did that because it's natural for women to love, Mm -hmm. but it's not natural for us to respect, but the man needs respect. Mm -hmm. It's natural for a man to respect a woman, but it's not natural for him to love, but the woman desperately needs love. There's this mutual need for this relationship and, and not one above, not one below. We all have needs and we need to be able to speak each other's love language, which is a whole nother book by Gary Chapman. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going down. Now a you're really, hole. But, but I love that because I think God creatively made us different men and women. And I think oftentimes we're trying to be like each other instead of celebrating that and realizing we bring something unique to the table. And so he, um, Emerson does a really good job of that. Really good. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. 
So here we have the first marriage and God's design for marriage is right here. And I'm going to kind of read some notes from BSF, that's Bible Study Fellowship, that I loved about this section. So there were two reasons for this, for marriage. And one was completion of a relational circle. So see if you can track with me on this. I'm going to read. Where does love come from? This feeling stronger than death, stronger than the tie to your parents, this drive to be with another person that does not cease until it again becomes flesh in a child. It comes from the fact that God took woman from man, that they actually were originally one flesh. Therefore, they must come together again and fulfill their destiny in belonging to one another. God's creative gift was that these two should become one flesh in marriage. God, who took the woman from the man, now reunites him together in the sacred union. Do you love that circle? That, that circle. The second reason was for comparison. So marriage was designed for completion and for comparison. And the comparison is this. We are to compare marriage to the way God is to people and Jesus is to the church. Okay, so see, let, let me read the notes for this. See if you can track with me because this is, again, we're getting into the theology of the New Testament here. But listen, God, like the father of the bride, gave Eve to Adam. Their relationship is his gift to them both. Not only this, God also intended that this intimate relationship of man and woman in love, joy, and life on earth should lead them to understand their individual love relationship to God and to Christ. All through the Old Testament, God compares his love for his people to the love of the husband for his wife. And then, and you can look those up in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea. Then in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus is portrayed as the bridegroom of the church who is bone of his bone. Do you see that? So when we look at marriage, we should also think of Christ married to the church and God to his people. And if you want to go to the show notes, we will have all of the verses that Susan is referencing in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Ephesians, and Revelations that you can look those up for yourself. Totally. We'll put them in the show notes. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, our scene is now complete. If your eyes are still closed, you can open them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But this is how it looks. Our couple is feeling perfect. They're free from shame. They have lots to eat. The weather is so lovely. Clothes are unnecessary. Life, this mysterious gift from the breath of God and symbolized in this tree, is there for them whenever they want it. Everything is perfect. So, you know, in chapter one, we got the details of the world. Here in chapter two, we zoomed in and we got the details of man. It's clear God created the world for man. The question is, why did he create man? The scene here kind of just needs a motive. Before we dig into the rest of Genesis and the greater book, the Bible, we have to know the motive of God. And we must keep that motive in mind the whole way through the entire Bible to understand ultimately what his plan is for us. So why did God create man and the world? Asked every theologian ever in history. (laughs) And we're going to kick it back to the theologians. So catechism. Have you ever heard of the word catechism? If you grew up in church, you're going, oh, I remember that. We had to repeat it back. If you haven't. Yeah, exactly. You're a half Jewish girl. You may not, not have gotten it. But 
But there are, there are these catechisms and there's the greater catechism and the children's catechism and they were written for a purpose. They kind of had these precepts about God's word so that people could memorize them and know everything. Are the catechisms those things that you used to recite in church all the time? Like you would just, everybody all together would say them? Totally. And and the one that I remember the most is the children's catechism because I had to teach it in Sunday school. How does it go? For example, who the first question is, who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you for all, you and all things? For his own glory. Exactly. She's reading the answers I wrote them for. She didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I did not remember that. <laughs> but that's the children's catechism. Super simple. What I who remember is God? like the Apostles' Creed, right? Is that what you, is that the same thing? Is that a catechism? Well, that's not really a catechism, I but that is something. I believe in God the Father, yes, creator yes, of heaven and earth. It is like a summary of it. All right. So you answered right there with the children's catechism question. Why did God make you in all things for his own glory? So let's talk about that. This is a biblical principle. First, we know God created us in his image from Genesis 1:27. We are a reflection of his glory. We already read that. But also we can compare Genesis chapters one to two with Isaiah 43, six and seven. And this is what they say. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. There you go, right there. What are the key words mentioned in both? In Genesis, the words created are used five times. Pattern. Formed is three times and made is said nine times. So here Isaiah is doing what he does so well. He uses the word created, formed, and made to point us back to the original act of creation because Isaiah would know that his people would know the words of creation. They memorized everything back then. They were like, the Jewish people were the first people who really took to catechisms per se. They would stand on the mountain and they'd have to recite things back and forth because they didn't have books. They didn't, people couldn't carry around scrolls. And so they memorized everything. And Isaiah would know they would have the creation story memorized. So he's telling us that God brought man into being for his glory. That is why man ultimately exists because this is why all things ultimately exist for the glory of God. My final point on that is God had a motive. He created man and you for a purpose and to glorify him. And you need to know that because that's going to be your motive for obedience. The question is, how can you glorify God? Well, what are you pursuing passionately? Do you look at Instagram more than you look at the Bible? Is the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up, grab your phone and check Facebook? Or do you grab your phone and check version or your Bible or whatever <laughs> or else Bible you're doing? Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, a long time ago, made this rule for myself. If I have not read my Bible that day, I don't get to go on social media. And at first, that was hard for me to do. That's a great thing. It was a hard thing to do at first. And now it's just an automatic. I just automatically go to my Bible first. But it was my way of making sure that I was putting God before social Mm -hmm. media, which I have this whole complicated relationship with social media anyway. I just... It's hard for me. Well, in the New Testament, God really gets into a lot of ways that we can glorify him. But in conclusion for this week, God created a perfect world. God created man and woman to live in the world. And God created the world and you for his glory. Now, next week, the scene is going to dramatically shift and our perfect world is going to crack. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club.
New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.